Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is my co-host, as always, and a fellow H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, the horrible Astros season just got a little worse. Justin Verlander apparently injured himself trying to make his comeback. So according to GM James Click, this wasn't related to that initial injury, but he'll need Tommy John surgery, be out, you know, not just this year, but next year too. Can you believe we might have seen him pitch in an Astros uniform for the last time? Who? what a depressing thought, Robert. And, and I just, yeah, this whole season has been a real gut punch for the Astros. And in particular, Justin Verlander. You know, I, I couldn't help but wonder, was he trying to come back maybe a little too soon? I mean, maybe the injury wasn't related, but regardless, I mean, he was, it, it looked like he was throwing some simulated action or, you know, at least starting to throw again, that he felt good. But as we know, Robert, and we've we've been covering sports, as you've mentioned, for a long time, yeah, these things can just pop up out of nowhere. You're, you're trucking along, you think you're going to make a comeback, and then all of a sudden you get that soreness, and they look at it. And it's bad. And now Justin is gone. As you said, not only this season, he's definitely not coming back this season, but he won't be back next season, which is, by the way, the last season of his contract with the Astros. So, yeah, as depressing as it sounds, I I do wonder if Justin Verlander has indeed pitched his last game with the Astros because, you know, then the question becomes, do you bring him back at all? And if you do, you you certainly are. You don't want to pay him a bunch of money to come back, do you? Yeah, I'm going to get to Verlander in a bit. But yeah, he's a 39-year-old coming off Tommy John surgery. So, you know, what, do you really want that type of, you know, guy going forward if you're the Astros now, if he wants to come back on a, on a cheap deal or something like that? But I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm not seeing it happen. And, you know, it's crazy because, you know, that injury and all the other Astros injuries, it it feels at some point like it's been a very long season for the Astros, but it's in a way, maybe it's, it's a short season because look, believe it or not, the season ends Sunday, the playoffs start two days later. So we're right on the doorstep of the postseason, And that brings me to Steven, this, if the Astros make the playoffs, you wonder what their rotation will be without Justin Verlander. And I've got a two prong question for you because of that. First of all, what will Dusty Baker do? In other words, I want you to give me his three-man rotation. But number two, I also want you to give me want you to give me your three-man rotation in order. If you think that differs from what Dusty might do, all right. Well, let me let me answer the second question first. I'll give you mine first. And my I, I think Zach Greinke has to be the ace, and I'm sure you know Dusty will put him as the number one starter. What I would do is I would make Framber Valdez my second and have a left-hander in there, kind of throw things up a little bit. And, you know, Framber Valdez has had a good season. And then, you know, Jose Urquidy, I know he's just come back and he didn't look particularly sharp, but he got the job done on Sunday's start. But he certainly looked sharp his first three uh, starts. I would put him as the number three. Now, now here's something, Robert, that as I understand it, they're not going to be taking days off during these playoffs. So do you put a number four starter in there, say a Lance McCullers, because of that situation, you're not going to have that extra day of rest going. According to the schedule that I saw, and from what my understanding of this is that there are going to be a couple of days off between the first round and the second round. 
between series, yes, but once the series starts, then you're you're going to have games in a row, right. and no travel day. So that I think is going to kind of change things, make make things a little different, because normally you you could have that rest day, you know. But I I certainly think that if there's going to be a fourth starter, it would be Lance McCullers, whether you like it or not. And I'm not sure that I do, because the only time that Lance has pitched well has been at Minute Maid Park, and none of the games. I mean, none of them are going to be, for the Astros anyway, are going to be at Minute Maid Park. Exactly. And this is my guess as to what Dusty will do. It's Granky Fromber. I'm kind of scared to get death. He is going to go with McCullers as the third guy instead of Urquidy. Uh, you know, I if, if he's going to do it that way, you know, I'm an Urquidy guy. I'm going to shock everybody with my my three and the order that I would do because, you know, if I, if I got three guys... Um, I'll lead with Urquidy just because I have such confidence in his control combined with his stuff and his coolness under pressure. Remember last year, he gave up one run and 10 innings during last year's postseason. He was fantastic in the World Series. He just looks as cool as a cucumber out there. Fromber is sweating. You know, he's got stuff pouring off of his face, Steven. (laughs) It's just like it's everywhere. He scares me a little bit, to be honest with you. He does. I mean, he he still can be Framer Valdez and get in those situations, but I think he looks a little bit calmer than he has in previous years. In answering your second question to me, which is what would Dusty do, I, I fully think that what, what Dusty will do, I, I still think he will have Grinky first, which is what my pick is. He could conceivably put Urquidy second and then Fromber and then McCullers, or he might actually put McCullers third and then Fromber. So yeah, it's it's kind of a back and forth thing, but it's not really when you think about it, it's not so far fetched to think that you could put Urquidy first, just based on the things you said. I don't think Dusty will do it though. I I, I do think that he will put Grinky as your ace. You want an experienced person in there, and Grinky has been, I guess you could say, is now the ace of the staff because Verlander's not there. So I think he will put your ace as your number one starter. But it's not that far-fetched when you think about putting Urquidy in there just because he is so cool and calm under pressure. And I apologize because I should have looked at, you know, how the rotation is setting up a little bit. But in an I'm just saying in an ideal world, I, I would right. start with Urquidy. My number two pitcher is Fromber. Uh, you know, Greg Keith Fromber's number is practically identical, but Fromber's just got, he's got better stuff. He's got more dominating stuff that matters against better lineups that you're going to face in the playoffs. And in his one outing against their likely opponent, the A's, Fromber gave up one earned run in seven innings. Granke's faced the A's three times. Now, the first time he was awesome, didn't give up a run. But, Steven, the next two, he gave up three runs and then four runs. Advantage Fromber to me. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. And he was my number two guy. That, that was one of the reasons I would put him in there is just because his stuff is so good and because he's a lefty. And, you know, to me, the difference with Fromber this year, Robert, as opposed to previous seasons, he just seems to be getting it together mentally. And we all know pitching, there is so much put on the mentality of a pitcher and getting command of his pitches. He's not walking nearly as many batters. And when he does get in a jam, he he just doesn't seem to completely lose it the way he's done in previous seasons. I don't know if it was Dusty Baker's chat with him during spring training that made a difference or, you know, just that Fromber has had plenty of time to think about it during the extended uh, offseason or stopped season, whatever you want to call it. 
But whatever the reason, Fromber seems to be figuring it out. And he still has those moments where he looks a little shaky, where you think, oh, we hope that the old Fromber's not coming back. But all in all, and his stuff was good even when he wasn't completely right. I mean, when you have Mike Trout saying he has some of the best stuff he's ever seen, that's quite a compliment. But you've got to put it together in your head, and that is what I think has made Fromber Valdez so dangerous this year. And that's why I put him as my number two. So we, we both have the same one at, at the second spot. Do you have a gut feeling, you know, this is like way, looking way ahead, but like down the road next year, you know, where, where do you see these guys lining up next year? Do you think Fromber is ahead of Urquidy or behind Urquidy when next year starts up as far as the regular rotation, you know, coming out of the box? I mean, it doesn't always mean anything, but just kind of interesting how the first series or two are going to line up next year and, and, and how they're going to look at that. Well, I think they'd be neck and neck. Uh, you know, perhaps Arkiti would be good in that second spot for the reasons you just mentioned uh, with his composure and then, you know, a little more experience. But you, you got to say that if Fromber continues to pitch the way he has, he's a legitimate number two or three. And then, you know, the question becomes, what of Lance McCullers? You know, can he even stay healthy long enough to be considered a starter? And, you know, go, kind of going back to the point you made several weeks ago in a podcast, podcast about do you put him in long relief in the bullpen or something so yeah there's a lot of questions now especially with Justin Verlander not going to be a factor next year and I looked it up and and I'm trying to do the math a little bit in my head but the the pitching matchups this week on Tuesday Fromber's going and then on Wednesday Granke's going now the first playoff game would be Tuesday so that would give Granke plenty of rest for Tuesday if you wanted to pitch Granke on Tuesday however what you could do is you, you might want to keep Valdez and, and Granky in some sort of rhythm. And Valdez would have over a week off if Granky starts the series. And I mean, I, I just know Granky's going to start, you know, my gut feeling is he's going to start the series, but I, I like guys kind of keeping that rhythm and Fromber having eight days off between games seems a little bit weird to me, but you know, I, Dusty goes by what he sees this year. It's like he, a lot of the stuff that he does is like he doesn't even just he doesn't even count like what happened just with lineups and all this. It's like Dusty, did you watch this team before this year? I, I don't know what Dusty does. Well, it seems that he goes on hunches uh, a lot and just his instincts uh, that can be good or bad, especially when it comes to pitching matchups. But yeah, a lot of pitching is all about rhythm. And that is saying something, and especially when you think about this being the postseason, the longer a pitcher waits, a young pitcher like Valdez, who does have a tendency to kind of uh, lose the composure and lose command, waiting too long, and then you put him in there and he might be a little shaky the first couple of innings, or maybe even the whole game. So it is something to think about when you come in and start thinking about the first series of the postseason. Fromber is fun to watch because he does not know how to throw a baseball straight. And that ball does all sorts of weird <laughs> stuff out there, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. And, and maybe in some ways it keeps the batters off balance. Right. And, and, and I tell you what, uh, Dusty Baker, if he comes back next year, I, I just can't tell you how frustrated I'll be because there's something about him that's very Bill O'Brien to me as a in-game guy. He's just so bad as an in-game guy, Stephen. And, and I'm going to give you a case in point. Kyle Tucker, this is somebody, if you look at his numbers for his career versus lefties and versus righties, he's hitting 45 points higher 
with his OPS against lefties than he is righties, which you go, well, that doesn't make any sense because he's a left-handed batter. But sometimes you see that in baseball. And at some point, Dusty needs to realize that and not go, well, I've got to move Kyle Tucker down in the lineup, you know, to fifth or sixth or seventh or whatever. Look, Kyle Tucker, he's one of the top three hitters for the Astros this year. Kyle Tucker is still batting fourth, fifth, sixth, but you can't move him down against lefties because it's the opposite. He's better against them. At one point in Dusty Baker's career, I would like him to check baseball reference. Well, you know, one of the questions that we had about Dusty before he came, we came into this season and we knew he was going to manage the Astros is the fact of how much attention he pays to analytics, which was very little, obviously. And of course, he says all the right things of that, you know, he's going to look more into that. But you got to wonder with, with things like what you just talked about, how much does he look at analytics? And certainly in the case of Kyle Tucker, who is definitely coming into his own this year, it doesn't look like much. All right. I'm going to go back to Justin Verlander now because uh, we talked a little bit about him off, off the top. But I, I got a big question for you here, Stephen, because you look at his career as an Astro and we, we said it, it. It's likely over 39 years old. Tommy John surgery, blah, 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 blah. Don't don't see him going to you know, don't see him coming back in his four seasons in Houston so far Verlander is 43 and 15 with a 2.45 ERA 2.45.834 whip 12.1 Ks per nine innings to only 1.6 walks I mean just crazy and his only full seasons his only full seasons remember it's only about two and a half so far that's right that's right. Two in like six six games. In his only full seasons, he had a first place and a second place in the Cy Young Award. Oh, yeah, he got a no-hitter and a World Series ring. Steven, is he the best pitcher in Astros history, even with the short resume? Yeah, and I mean, that is the big question is the short resume. But, Robert, I think you have to look even beyond the numbers and talk about the impact that a, a, a pitcher like Justin Verlander has on the Astros. I mean, let's be honest, without that Justin Verlander trade, the Astros don't win the World Series in 2017. It's just not likely. And yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have the longevity of a Nolan Ryan, of a J.R. Richard, of a Larry Durker. But none of those guys, not even Nolan Ryan is. And, you know, it'd be hard not to put Nolan Ryan as the greatest Astros pitcher of all time. But none of those guys brought you a World Series. Justin Verlander brought it, and it was all about timing as much as it was about the numbers. But without Justin Verlander, that World Series doesn't happen. And honestly, you don't uh, – yeah, they had Garrett Cole in 2019, but you don't get to the World Series again without both of those pitchers, certainly not without Verlander. So, you know, with, with all of that combined with the numbers that you just said, Robert, it would be hard to argue that Justin Verlander is not – certainly with all that put together, the greatest pitcher the Astros have ever had. The two guys with the closest resumes, Mike Scott and Roger Clemens. Clemens, three full seasons, 38-13, and 2.40 ERA. He had a first and a third place finish in the Cy Young and a World Series appearance. So uh, not too far back. His whip, though, 1.074, not even close to JV, as good as it was. 
But he does have a lead on Verlander and appearances in front of Congress. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's uh, how much of that was enhanced, no pun intended. Uh, But but and and honestly, you know, in Mike Scott's case, the fact that he didn't bring an Astros World Series is certainly not his fault. Uh, We could we could sit here and debate that if Scott had faced the Mets one more time in in game seven, that the Astros might have won the World Series. But that certainly wasn't because of Mike Scott. It's because the Astros couldn't win game six. So, yeah, and I didn't even mention those guys you just mentioned. So there's a lot of great pitchers the Astros have had, certainly. But Justin Verlander, you know, when you, you know he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And you know that, the, as I said, the timing with which that trade was made when he came to the Astros and added that extra spark that they had to have. And then you combine him with Garrett Cole in 2019 where they almost, they came within one win from winning the World Series. You know, it's all in the results. That's that's really where it lies. And Justin Verlander has the ring and the others don't. So what what else can you say? Yeah, your your voice is cracking. like, And I'm getting all choked up over it. Too, yeah, so. yeah, I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> uh, you know, much bigger sample size for Mike Scott. Nine years compared to Verlander's, you know, just two years and a few games. But uh, six starts, in fact. But... He also had a no-hitter. He grabbed a first and second place finish in Cy Young, just like JV, along with a seventh place finish one year. His career ERA, 3.30, but that was in pitcher-friendly, you know, the Astrodome, which is pitcher-friendly. And then Roy O, another person maybe in the conversation, 3.24 ERA in his 10 years with the Astros with five top five Cy Young finishes, although none higher than third. So not in the Mike Scott-Verlander category there. His whip was 1.196 1.196 and it was never under one in a season while JV's just been ridiculous in, in his time in a much uh, smaller ballpark the whole time. Uh, Roy O had some years, a couple of years in the Astrodome, but I mean, really the argument I guess is maybe between Mike Scott and, and, and uh, Roger Clemens for the second best pitcher for the Astros all time. Is that, is that those are the two guys? Yeah, that's probably fair. And again, you have to go by their resumes as much as anything else. And of course, don't forget Roy Oswald, you know, pitched the Astros in that, that Cardinals game that got them to the world series. He was the guy, but yeah, those two guys I'd have to say would, would have to be your one and two. Back to, you know, just the, the end of this year with the Astros, you know, we talk about how quickly the season's going to end. How about this, uh, Stephen, to think about, you know, the Astros are, they're done at Minute Maid for the regular season, but really they're done at Minute Maid until April the 8th next year. That's the next time they're going to play a game at Minute Maid Park, no matter what happens. You hope, certainly. Uh, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, that's pretty uh, amazing because none of the playoff games that they're going to play are going to be in Minute Maid Park. Uh, it, it will be used as a bubble site, but it's for National League teams and not for the American League. So what is that, seven months from now? Yeah, it's a, it's a while. Yeah, that's about right. Also, uh, I guess the, the last thing that I'll be looking towards this week is just the Astros' offense. I mean, are, are, what's happening? Are they facing Cy Young every night? Is that what's going on with their offense? Um, no, I'm glad you asked because, you know, even in the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks series, I know the Astros, uh, you know, they, they took two out of three, but they faced some pitching that is uh, quite subpar. You had Kyle Hudson with an ERA over six. I think he was one and five or something. And even Madison Baumgartner, who has, you know, been traditionally a great pitcher, he was 0 and four coming into Sunday's game against uh, with the Diamondbacks you know, for the season. And 
I think the Astros only managed a couple of runs off of him. So, no, the offense isn't exactly facing elite pitching, but the bats have been mighty quiet lately. Okay, let's move to the Rockets briefly because as we're recording this, the Rockets still looking for a head coach. And, Stephen, i got to ask, do you respect Reggie Miller as an NBA analyst? Oh, I can take him or leave him. I, I think he was a better player, quite frankly. So, yeah, I'll take him or leave him. All right, well, I, I've just made him into a flat-out genius because uh, he had two suggestions for Rockets head coach, and they were Sam Cassell and Becky Hammond. Sound hmm. familiar? I wonder somebody else on this podcast, I think, made that. Uh, I think his name is Robert Land. Is that is that who that was that, that also said that before Reggie Miller said that, by the way? So kudos to you, Robert. Brilliant. That Robert Land's brilliant yeah, guy. That, that Robert Land guy. I love working with him. He makes me look really smart. <laughs> you know, I, I heard on at least one Houston radio show the conversation about how bad the Westbrook trade was. And while we all agree that we weren't a fan of the deal, you go back to our conversation that me and Stephen had on this about a year ago, but, you know, still hate it, to be honest with you. But let me point out that this, there's a slight misconception that they mortgaged their future with all the first-round draft picks. And I'm going to start with next year because Oklahoma City can swap first-round picks with us next year. However, I'm guessing they'll sell high on Chris Paul and deal him. So odds are KC, OKC won't, won't be worse than us. So I don't think that happens. They can also swap picks with the Rockets in 24 and 26 as part of that deal. But two key things on that. When they swap the picks in, in those years, they, they can also swap picks with the Clippers, part of the Paul George deal. That's the way the Paul George deal is set up. So if the Rockets are better than the Clippers or the Thunder, they're picking in the same spot. And keep in mind, Kawhi will be 33 years old by that point and has long-term health issues that he's been dealing with over the last few years. So could the Clippers be a lottery team by then? Eh, maybe so. The Rockets are also top four protected. So no matter what, they weren't giving up an elite lottery pick and with those with those pick swaps. The 2025 first-round pick, now that's the one that the, the Rockets give up outright, you think. Oh, that's done. They're, they've lost that one. But not so fast because if you look at the details on that deal, it was top 10 protected. So right. unless they finish between – this is interesting, Stephen. Unless they finish between 11 and 14 in the lottery, in 2025, they're either a playoff team – that swapping picks potentially still, maybe, maybe, or they've got a lottery pick. So, you know, that's the odds on favorite. I mean, 99% chance that that's one of the two things that are going to happen. So I don't know if that makes you feel any better, Stephen, but I tried. I tried. Well, you know, that's some pretty deep analysis, Robert. I'm impressed. And, and the only thing I would say about the Russell Westbrook trade, though, is it is one year in. And, yeah, it didn't work this year. But I think you need more than one season before you t to call the trade a total bust. I, I just think, you know, one year is just too short. And it wasn't even a – it was a crazy season for everybody. It wasn't even a full season. There are some definite holes in Russ's game that he needs to correct if the Rockets are going to win a championship. Yes, absolutely. We've talked about them. But let's give it another year and let's see what happens when they get a new coach, see what they do with Harden, see what they can do with Westbrook. And then maybe we can start getting more pro and con about the trade. Yeah, the other thing real quick on the, on the trade is that, you know, the, the odds are that, you know, OKC, okay, they're bad. So they're going to go find some great talent 
and turn it all around. Now, that's not the odds. The odds are a lot of teams, they go into the tank, and the fact that you're, you're going to get you know great players and you're just going to be a, a really good team and you're going to be better than the Rockets, for sure, by that point, there's no, there's no way to tell that four or five years out already. And nobody's going to OKC as a free agent. <laughs> you know, it's just not happening. I mean, it's, it's Oklahoma City unless they get some great player in the next three years. And those players are hard to find. I mean, they got lucky last time. They get and, and like a few drafts, they picked up Westbrook and Harden and Durant. And that was just that's outright luck. And we'll see if, you know, Presti can repeat that. But just that's something to consider. I also want to mention, you know, I, I kind of give glass half full right there, Stephen, but let's give me give, give you a little bit of glass half empty because after watching the Nuggets in the playoffs, I, I'm pretty sure at this point there are definitely four teams who should be better than the Rockets in the West next year. Absolutely. The Clippers, the Lakers, the Nuggets. And don't forget what a healthy Golden State team would look like with Clay and Steph and Draymond. Plus, Stephen, I'm not so sure a healthy Trailblazers couldn't be better. They look like a really good regular season team once Zach Collins and Nurkic returned. You know, the Rockets, they're the fifth best team in the Western Conference at best going into next year, right? Well, that is certainly a possibility. I mean, that's why I think the Rockets window it was so narrow to begin with could very well be closing or, or at least starting to close when you've got teams like the Lakers, obviously, and the Nuggets and the Trailblazers. It, it, they had those injuries, but I still don't think they would have beaten the Lakers, but they're an up-and-coming team. And who knows about Golden State? I mean, it's not that far-fetched to think they could be back as a great team just because of, you know, the, some of the terrible things they had going on last season. So it is not out of the realm of possibility that the Rockets could be a fifth, sixth seed. You know, in Oklahoma City, you mentioned them earlier, you know, they're, they're certainly not going to tank after they get to the first round of the playoffs. They're going to be something to contend with, at least for next season. So, yeah, that's absolutely a possibility. Yeah, I'm kind of assuming Chris Paul's gone. Um, I, I feel like you got to sell high on him, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But new coach, they, they had a lot of things go well for them this past year. I do not consider them better than the Rockets over an 82-game season. I might be wrong about that. A bunch of stuff to just think about as the Rockets look for a head coach, as you start looking towards next year for the Rockets. Um, just wanted to throw all that stuff out uh, before we ended the show and want to remind everybody, stay safe from the storm. I know people in Houston uh, that are listening to this, uh, we're dealing with that. So I uh, hope everybody can stay safe and above water, so to speak. So good luck with that. And we'll talk to you again down the road. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.